Hello, you are listening to KaneCast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets every quarter by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Managing Director with Kane Anderson Rudnick. And with me today, I have Doug Foreman, Chief Investment Officer, here to discuss the first quarter of 2019, as well as the market outlook moving forward. Hi, Jordan. Happy to be here today. Doug, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time today to discuss the first quarter of 19 with us. Over the last six months, we've seen quite a market reversal take place. Can you walk us through some of these key drivers that took place in the moves from the end of the fourth quarter last year, going through the first quarter of this year in 2019? Well, it's been uh, quite a volatile six months uh, over the last, uh, since really early uh, early September of last year, if you will. And let's talk about what caused the volatility and the downdraft in the fourth quarter of last year and then uh, walk through why that's been reversed in the first quarter of this year. Uh, one of the principal problems in the last quarter of uh, 2018 was that the Fed was still bent on raising interest rates in an environment where growth rates were clearly slowing, both globally and in the U.S. What uh, the market was looking at was a slowdown in Europe that had been going on really since the beginning of 2018. Uh, China had been decelerating fairly rapidly over the course of 2018 as well, which had put some downward pressure on emerging markets. And even in the U.S., areas that were sensitive to interest rate increases, like autos and housing, saw a major downdraft. In, in their business activity in the first half and uh, into the third quarter of 2018. So the, the market was concerned about the sustainability of growth and the po- possibility of a recession and wanted the Federal Reserve to back off on interest rate increases. Uh, the Fed was somewhat reluctant to do this in the fourth quarter of last year and culminating in their December meeting where they uh, uh, still insisted on doing at least two rate increases in 2019. So the market was not prepared for this, wasn't ready for this, didn't believe that the Fed was doing the right thing, and was very concerned about the Fed potentially pushing the U.S. economy even into a recession over the next year or two, given the interest rate activity that they were talking about. So that was the first and biggest problem. The second problem was that trade issues were still dragging on a lot longer than we and other investors thought, and really no resolutions were being made in the fourth quarter of last year. Um, It wasn't getting any worse in terms of trade, but it certainly wasn't getting any better, and this has had a downward and deleterious effect on global economic activity as well, which further exacerbated slowdown fears. And then the third thing was when third quarter earnings were reported in the October-November time period, it was pretty apparent to investors looking closely at the numbers like we do that business activity was slowing even in the U.S., so the, the robust activity that we saw in the first half of 2018, uh, while activity was still okay, it clearly was slower than what we saw in the first half of the year, further adding to fears about a global slowdown and even a slowdown in the U.S. and U.S. economy. So the reason the market rebounded in the first quarter of this year so strongly was that these three factors really went the other way. So what you saw in early January was the Federal Reserve completely backed off on the two rate increases for 2019 and basically said we're going to do none in 2019. We're going to be data dependent. We're going to pause. We're going to be patient. We're going to wait and see. Look at uh, whatever terminology you want to look at. But the bottom line is the Fed was on hold. So this was good and in line with what the market was hoping and thinking that the Fed should be. So that really ignited the rally that we saw and started the rally in the first quarter that started in early January. 
The second thing that happened is that trade issues, which had been getting not worse but not better in the fourth quarter of last year, actually started to get better in the first quarter of this year, where it became apparent that both sides, President Trump and China, both wanted to reach a deal and were willing to start to work towards doing that. So while this deal hasn't been consummated, um, we still have some uh, kinks to work out, I think, and there'll still be some headwinds along the way. Uh, the fact is, at least the talks are headed in the right direction, and uh, we made some major improvements, it appears, in the first quarter. That also helped improve business confidence and, and the, the confidence in the sustainability of the outlook for corporate earnings going forward. And the last thing we saw was fourth quarter earnings, which were largely reported in the late January through the middle of March time period. Fourth quarter earnings, while they weren't great in absolute terms, they were certainly better than what people had been fearing, given the slowdowns that we saw in these various markets. And so corporate profitability has continued to hang in there very, very uh, soundly, even in the lower growth environment that we're clearly in today. So those are the principal reasons that we saw such a large rebound after a big sell-off in the fourth quarter, such a large rebound in the first quarter. Doug, on a global level, can you take us through some of the changes you are seeing specifically related to the slowdown we're starting to see in China, along with the ongoing concerns related to the Brexit situation? As I mentioned earlier, uh, Jordan, you know, China definitely slowed down during the course of 2018, and uh, the country has taken some fiscal and uh, monetary measures to try to uh, at least stabilize growth here in 2019. And we think they're starting to become successful at doing that. But I think it's really important to keep China in perspective. You know, the slowdown in China has turned their GDP from, you know, growing at a high 6% rate to a low 6% rate, according to most economists' forecasts. That's still an enormous growth rate for an economy of China's size, which is the second largest economy on the planet these days. So China, in any absolute sense, is still doing extremely well. In fact, every year they are producing the equivalent of a new Netherlands in terms of GDP within their own country. So this is uh, an area that's still growing by any you know absolute standard, although clearly the growth rate itself did slow last year. As I mentioned earlier, what we're seeing this year is we're starting to see some stability. Uh, It's too early to call it a meaningful recovery, but it's entirely possible that given the easy comparisons we're going to see in the second half of 2019, that that business activity may actually start to accelerate in China over the next 12 to 18 months from here. But it looks like at least we're in for a period of stability, and with that type of growth rate, as long as it's stable, that should be pretty good for global markets. Uh, Brexit, on the other hand, has continued to drag on. It's been two years plus in the making. Looks like now it's going to be delayed even further into 2020, possibly. But my point about Brexit is uh, you're seeing when even bad news hits on Brexit almost daily, it has almost zero impact on the U.S. market. And it's having very little impact even on the U.K. market these days. So anybody that's concerned about Brexit is long gone in the equity market. So I think there's minimal risk from that, whatever that ends up doing. And I think the risk of a hard Brexit continues to be extremely low. And even if their hard Brexit occurs, companies now have had enough time to prepare their businesses and all have contingency plans in place on what they're going to do if, in fact, that happens. So I think that that helps mitigate the the downside, even if that worst case does materialize, which, as I mentioned before, I think is highly unlikely anyway. Doug, my last question relates to a conversation we've had in the past related to the inverted yield curve. During the first quarter, we did see parts of the yield curve go inverted. What I was hoping to do is get your perspective on why investors may need to pay attention to this and if there are specific things that investors should consider if and when this were to continue to occur. 
Well, an inverted yield curve is clearly a negative for the equity markets and for future business activity. Um, and the reason I mentioned to most of the clients that have heard me speak at some of these client events before is that you know nobody's going to borrow money at say three percent and loan money out at two and a half and take credit risk. And so when the yield curve inverts and short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, that's the business proposition that lenders are faced with. So, of course, they shut their lending doors, and ultimately that has a negative impact on business activity as people, small businesses and others that are relying on credit for working capital and starting businesses get shut down and unable to obtain funds. So, you know, many fixed income pundits will talk about the technical reason the yield curve's inverted and while it doesn't, why it doesn't mean anything because it's all technical, to me it misses the whole point. The point is if in fact the yield curve's inverted, lending is going to slow, business activity will slow, it takes, it takes time, it doesn't happen overnight, it usually takes about 12 to 18 months to actually be felt in the real economy, but it is a leading indicator to be very concerned about if in fact it inverts. Now, what we saw at the end of the first quarter was a three-month T-bill, which is what the Fed controls, was higher than the 10-year Treasury, which is a, a, you know controlled by the marketplace. So that's a negative sign. But remember, the three-month is largely controlled by the Fed. So if this persists and if this continues, I think the message of the market is that the Fed is still not where it needs to be in terms of interest rates, and it should lower rates even a quarter to a half point so that the yield curve starts to steepen back up and get more normally shaped so lending and business activity can continue unabated. So time needs to pass. It's gone in and out of inversion a a few times over the last six months. But I think the key is the Fed's not likely to cut rates unless this persists for three, four, five months in the future. And uh, that's debatable whether that's going to happen or not. So it's something to keep an eye on, but it's not the end of the world as of right now. Once again, I've been speaking with Doug Foreman, Chief Investment Officer of Kane Anderson Rundick, on his thoughts for the first quarter of 2019, as well as the overall market outlook. Thank you, Doug, for the time and valuable insight you bring to the KaneCast listeners. Well, thanks for having me today, Jordan. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management. Kane Anderson Rudnick provides this communication as a matter of general information. The opinions stated here and are those of the speakers and not necessarily the opinions of Kane Anderson Rudnick or its affiliates. Portfolio managers at Kane Anderson Rudnick make investment decisions in accordance with specific guidelines and restrictions. As a result, client accounts may differ in strategy and composition from the information presented herein. Any facts and statistics quoted are from the sources believed to be reliable, but they may be incomplete or condensed, and we do not guarantee their accuracy. This communication is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security and is not in the research report. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions.